Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm, start in Psalm 61, as we continue through the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Psalm 61, uh, it certainly is from David. It says, to the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. It could be, as a lot of psalms are, coming out of the time when David is on the run from his own son. When his son Absalom plotted and executed a revolt to try to take over the kingdom and replace David from being king. And, you know, he pretty much pulled it off except one small detail he overlooked, God. You know, he was ultimately battling God in his rejection in there. And um, so a a lot of psalms flow out of that time when David is on the run from his own son. This could be... Psalm 61, from that time, he says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, it kind of fits there. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you. I mean, put yourself in David's position there for just a minute. Um, You know, he wakes up one morning. He's king of Israel. Everything's as it was the day before, week before, month before. He's got responsibilities and authority, and he's the leader of a nation, a dominant nation in the area. But then he ends the day on the run for his life, and he's lost everything. He's got to get out of town. You know, he's got to bug out, as the colloquialism goes. So uh, it could be that he's writing at that time. It could be when he's returning, and he's on his way back. I don't know, but... You know, this kind of this psalm is just a little glimpse about prayer in a time of turmoil and a reversal of life. You know, and life's just full of reversals. We like to make straight line projections about our lives in this world. You know, we plot it out and plan it out, and we expect things to go linearly, but it really doesn't. You know, when it doesn't, uh, there's there's obviously lots and lots of challenges for the believer, though. It ought to be a time when you have the opportunity to grow in our dependence on God and lean in closer to the Lord. And one of those things that ought to be strengthened in those times of upheaval, reversals, is uh, prayer. And so Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, prayer uh, in a time of turmoil and unexpected turns of life, prayer is certainly going to give you, has that place of giving you a different perspective on life and on the turmoil. When those things hit, as it did for David, it's very easy to, to let our perspective be swallowed up by the circumstances. And that's just the way You know, people without the Lord are going to be operating with that kind of a perspective. All we can see is the problem. But for the child of God, there is the need really to um, rise over that. And prayer will do that. Prayer will lift you out of that kind of perspective in which you're slaved to the circumstances. It doesn't, you know, prayer might change the circumstances. It might not. Certainly we're bringing the Lord into our circumstances But the first thing that changes as we pray and we stay in prayer and we pray till our perspective changes, 
The first thing that changes is us, is our own perspective. We switch the roles. The, the, it can be that the, the trial is overwhelming and God kind of fades into the back. And we, we want to we be able to pray and reverse that so that the, the problem is put in perspective of God and him handling the problem. So that's what he's saying. His heart is overwhelmed. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. And, and you know, it's, it's so refreshing and comforting to know that there is a place, a position in the Lord that is outside of me, outside of my resources, that, you know, it's just greater than the circumstances. I, I bring only my resources to any problem, but when I pray... I have the chance to then see my problem in light of God's resources. And then it changes, doesn't it? I am very limited in my extent of what I can do and what we can do. We're very limited. When you bring God and his resources to bear on a situation in prayer, then we can obtain a place of resting and peace. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It would be a place of peacefulness, wouldn't it be? Uh, you know, and that's kind of what peace is about, is the idea that there are adequate resources to get me through this situation. That's, a, that's in some sense, what peace is about. And so the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in, in, in uh, Christ Jesus when we pray. And uh, the Lord will, will give you that sense. Well, how long do you pray? It takes about 45 seconds, if you're really spiritual, no, um, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it takes as long as it takes. You know, however long it takes to pray, to, to climb, ha- have our, our hearts and minds as God is actively involved and brought into our circumstances. We pray, and God is invoked, and he begins to work in us in our prayer. When, he can, when, when we have that perspective of having gained peace, that's how long we pray for. If it takes five minutes, great, praise the Lord. If it takes 45 minutes, great, praise the Lord. It's a way of, of strengthening us and increasing our prayer life during times of reversals. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me uh, and a strong tower from the enemy. Um, you know, prayer in times of reversals, um, one of the positions we pray from is just to remember what he's done already. And that gives us great, great place to understand that he's going to... Um, accomplish what concerns me. We've seen that phrase already in the scriptures. He will accomplish what concerns me. Um, And we reflect on what he's already done. His faithfulness has always been there. You have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. We remember how he has defended us. He's never let let uh, uh, let us be exposed and vulnerable to the enemy. Um, And uh, uh, he's always protected us. So we pray, we remember those things. I will abide in this tabernacle, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Um, you know, also a time of prayer uh, in, in reversals, life reversals, um, we gain a great sense of assurance and comfort. Um, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. Certainly he's not talking about the earthly tabernacle, obviously that's Silly, he's not going to live forever in the tabernacle. He's talking about dwelling with God in a personal way in his presence. Um, 
and uh, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. That's comforting. Um, you know, it's, it's um, and we're going to see a lot of that tonight in, in this, um, that phrase, the shelter of your wings. Um, for you, O God, have heard my vows. Maybe in a time of trouble, we, we make a statement of consecration. Lord, I'm yours. Um, you know, I, I want to serve you, these things like that. And you reflect on those and say, yeah, Lord, all those things are still true. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Um, you know, you reflect on his promises, what he said he would do. And, um, and uh, uh, um, the heritage of those who fear your name. Um, you know, that's why I like the heritage of those who fear your name. That kind of invokes the idea that um, you're familiar with how God has, has acted in other people's lives. And um, how he has been faithful to others. Um, and um, you're confident then he will be the same for you, for me, in this situation. And, you know, just on a side note, that's why I really love to read missionary biographies and, and the stories of people who have been used by the Lord, um, committed to be used by the Lord, and then seeing the Lord use them. Love reading those because it strengthens my own faith um, in, in in uh, my service to the Lord, and um, I guess I set that before you as, as um, a way of strengthening your own faith. Pick up a good missionary biography and, uh, and walk through it, and you'll see how God used an average person to do great things. And it, you know, that kind of uh, strengthening of our faith serves us when we get into these reversals, life reversals. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Um, here he is reflecting on God's specific will for his life. Uh, he's gained peace and comfort and assurance. Uh, he's reflected on the things that God has done for others. It's given him um, a position of strength in the midst of his own reversals. And he, he's confident now that, yep, you know, your will is still good for my life. I'm not sure exactly how you're going to work it out, but, hey, it's not my problem, it's yours. And so here you go. You can handle it. And I'm looking forward to what you're, how you're going to work this out. He shall abide forever before God. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. Yeah, you know, if there's anything I want to be met with in, 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 uh, with the Lord, it's mercy and truth. Um, yeah, mercy and truth. So I will praise your, um, I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Um, again, a time of prayer um, in a reversal of life. Um, how important praise is. We're going to see that again through tonight also, how important praise is. Um, and again, he, he exits out this time of prayer with just a renewed sense of sanctification. I'm giving myself to you, Lord. This is your gig. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but you know what? You've always been faithful. It's not beyond you. You have me well in hand. You know, I'm just going to go forward and I look forward to what you are doing. Um, and I may daily perform my vows. Okay, Psalm 61, 62. Um, let's just read Psalm 62, and then I'm going to make a real brief comment on it. To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. 
Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Um, I'm not going to say anything about Psalm 62 because uh, Dwight's got a special family heritage that's, that's tied to Psalm 62, and so it's kind of a, uh, a, a precious family sort of thing that's going on here with him in Psalm 62, and he wants to share it with you. So I'm going to skip Psalm 62, leave it for Dwight, and we're going to go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And there's two times when that, again, could be uh, applying to David, uh, my own Bible's got a cross-reference that says 1 Samuel chapter 22. Now, that's very early in David's time of his transition from being, you know, shepherd boy and, and musician in the king's court to being king. Uh, very early when he's on the run, he goes down to um, the stronghold, which kind of names a name for a, a cave, and then people join him. And then, um, and then he moves off into the Judean wilderness. It's very early in his, in his time of, of uh, transition there. It could be that. It could also be, again, out of the time when Absalom is, caused him to run for his life. When David was king, much later in his life, uh, he could be, David could be on the run from Absalom and in the wilderness of Judah. You know, the wilderness of Judah is just a very dry place. For those of you who have been to Israel, you can picture it in your mind. You know, there's a few rocks there, and then they also have some rocks, and then beyond those rocks, there's some more rocks, and uh, then they have piles of rocks, and um, after that, they have a few more rocks. You get just a lot of rocks. Very, very dry. That part of the of Judean wilderness is down in amongst the Dead Sea, Water is a real scarcity. The Jordan River does run down to the Dead Sea, but by the time you get to the water down there, it's so salinated, it's, it's about the consistency of like a light baby oil. You're not going to drink that. Super heavy in minerals. Not at all available to be drank. So the image is, is he's down there for whatever reason, either early or late in his life, but he's seeing a parallel between being in that sort of an environment where water is in high demand and critical um, to being just in this world with um, 
a desire for God and, and not finding the Lord anywhere in the world. So he says, O God, you are my God. Uh, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Um, again, he draws an analogy between the need for water in this parched environment. And he sees that there's a real parallel um, with our own um, desire for God. This is, um, again, these, a lot of these psalms have to do with um, the role of aspects of a spiritual life in a time of trial, a time of um, being in the wilderness. Here's, here he is in the wilderness. And I don't know if you've ever had a time like that where you found yourself in sort of a wilderness uh, kind of um, unknowing uh, of where you're headed and, you know, things are are just, you know, the, the past, I don't know, it's all gone and the future, I don't know what it holds. And um, I'm not sure where my path goes. I've been there. And, um, uh, you know, what do we do? Um, well, here he talks about the role of worship in a time of like that. And and in a time of uh, of the wilderness, you can feel very unplugged from things because all those things that are familiar to you are gone. They can be, they can be removed. And, um, you know, again, on times of, of wilderness trekking, um, you know, that's a time when, again, we need to lean into God a little bit closer, not only in prayer like Psalm 61, but also in worship. And, um, again, that's a choice. That's a choice we have to make during that time because our, I think our natural instincts are just to kind of freak out and, and kind of throw a pity party and, and get kind of you know, self-oriented. And, and for the child of God, it ought to be a time when um, it's an opportunity, again, to grow and strengthen parts of our life that the Lord is drawing us forward in. Worship. Worship is a place we need to grow. And we need to um, continue to see enriched in our lives. So he's in the wilderness. And, oh, God, you are my God. What a commitment to say when everything's stripped away, Lord, I want you to be my God. And maybe that's, that's already settled, you know, for David in the, in the past. He's not saying anything new. Um, it's not like he's turning from idolatry or something. He's just um, making a statement to God that, you know, despite all of that that has been lost, all that has turned here, um, I am going to strengthen my love for you and my desire to be in personal relationship with you. He says, early will I seek you. Um, you Some of you might have the translated earnestly. Um, The the word there, um, you're... It kind of gives an emphasis of priority. David is saying, you know, the first thing I want to do is put you in the middle of everything I'm doing, all that I'm about. Um, it, it can mean, and certainly probably does mean, early in the day, as an, kind of like on a daily routine, he would prioritize. I, I don't want to go out and do anything, Lord, before I meet and talk with you. I want to be in your word. I want to be communing with you, that's probably loaded into that. But I don't want to make that a legalistic thing. Don't say, 
I don't want to hear, you know, uh, have you think I'm saying, if you're a real, real Christian, you have to get up in the morning and spend an hour with the Lord. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's whatever your day cycle is, um, the priority of God, you know, we can tell him much about our, our desire for him. Uh, where we put him in in the scope of things, you know. Again, I don't want to make it a legalistic thing, but um, it could be early in the day. I think it's a good thing to do is to seek the Lord early in the day. Um, uh, but I think it's also because it doesn't say really early in the day I will seek you. I think it also be ought to be uh, interpreted as early in the wilderness, early in this trial. I want to seek you. Uh, I think I think if we make a mistake um, by putting off bringing the Lord into our trials, um, it's very common. It's very easy to do. We think we can handle it, and and then finally, when like the wheels are falling off, okay, let's go get God. <laughs> uh, you know, I see that even in the disciples' life. Um, uh, recently, we were in the we were in the Gospel of Mark, and we were looking at. Uh, uh, the time when they took Jesus in the boat and were crossing the Sea of Galilee. He was asleep in the back. And um, and he gets up after their boat is just about sunk. And they're all panic-stricken. And they finally bring, they go get wake Jesus up now. You know, we're all about dead. We're all waterlogged. Um, let's go wake Jesus up and see and get him involved now. It's like, why did you wait so long? Why do we wait so long to bring Jesus in? Um, get him involved early. Right away, don't wait. Early will I seek you. And then my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Again, the dry land, parched, um, symbolic uh, of his own longing for God. In this world, there's just nothing that's going to satisfy um, I mean, we can we can we can see some things in the world that can that can be impressive. You know, there's there's the vistas of the creation, valleys and mountain ranges and and oceanscapes and things, and um, and then there's impressive you know architecture and construction things around the world. All these things, but you know, without God, all that stuff is just empty. And and um, you know, uh, the thing that satisfies is a, is a living relationship with God. And, um, you know, the, Jesus said it this way, and using almost the same kind of language, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, how thirsty are we for God? What's our longing for God like? And, and we, we all want to say that yes, we do thirst for God, but look at our actions. Do our actions bear that out? Or do we, does our actions prove something else? How do we seek the Lord? And how often? And um, so, in a dry and thirsty land, I'm longing for you. Nothing else satisfies. Uh, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. 
uh, he might be remembering a time when he had, you know, the access to the temple courts. And, uh, well, he wouldn't have the temple. He would have the uh, tabernacle courts and the times of, of worshiping the Lord freely in there. So I have looked for you uh, in the sanctuary. Um, uh, you know, that's an important thing. Um, take advantage of the freedom that we have to meet um, openly. You know, that's not the case in a lot of countries. Uh, you'd all be arrested if this was in some other countries. Um, so we have a rich blessing here. But more than that, um, more than that, I've looked for you in the sanctuary. Uh, he went to the sanctuary to see God. And that's, you can plug that into, into any meeting of believers and find that that ought to be the case. Why do you come to church? Is it to see God? Uh, I hope it is. Uh, here you are on Wednesday night. I bet it is. You know, you're, you're sacrificing another night of the week to, to be in Bible study. Your neighbors think you're crazy. Uh, your family if you wonders if you're in a cult. Um, but here you are looking for God in the sanctuary. And that's a good thing. You know, that's, what, that's what, what goes on here needs to be about, is putting God before us all. Um, his, his grace and his mercy. You don't need to see us, you know. It's not supposed to be about, um, not supposed to be about any man. And, and too often in churches these days, it's a cult of personality, someone who's got, you know, dynamic speaking skills. Praise the Lord. Uh, but too often the ministry is around that. He's got a great voice. He's got great hair. You know, I strike out on both of those. Um, um, and so um, church needs to be about, the gathering of the saints needs to revolve around Jesus and the majesty of the Lord and looking for him to see your power and your glory, um, to see him and what he has done for us and what he has promised he will do. That's his power and his glory. What he has done. You know, what has he done? Well, he's taken our sin. And he's paid for it. On the cross. Freely. Out of his love. Uh, picked up our sin. And made himself personally responsible for it. And suffered for it. And... Uh, Paid for it in a totality. Nothing left to pay for. And then um, he's promised then um, the, the gift of new life in him. And then, and then, you know, glorious promises of a future with him to see his power and his glory. I hope that's why you come to church. It ought to be. Worship. Worship is, is about that. Um, during a time of um, again, turmoil, reversals, worship needs to be right in the middle of that, of, of, um, um, of strengthening worship in a time of, of reversal and turmoil. Because your, lo- your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. I like the way this goes. He makes a commitment in there to, to say some things about to God personally, you are my God, and I'm going to seek you 
because there's nothing else in life. And then as I seek you, this is the understanding I can walk away from this with, this worship with. Your loving kindness is better than life. That's a rich understanding to walk away from church with. Your loving kindness is better than life. And, and what's, what's the reaction to that, of that understanding? My lips shall praise you. Um, I'm going to praise you, Lord. I'm going to uh, use my mouth um, to, to sing of your praise. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Um, again, the, the role of worship, um, uh, using our mouths to sing to the Lord. Um, you know, before we came to know the Lord, wow, um, you know, like myself, like a lot of other people, a lot of garbage rolled out of our mouth. And the Lord cleaned that up, and uh, now we have the opportunity to use our mouth to praise him in worship and in music. And um, like he says here, I will lift up my hands in your name. You know, recently, um, that lifting up the hands has kind of made headlines, you know, with the whole Ferguson thing. I'm not here to comment on that. But it's a universal sign of surrender. And that's, you know, that's kind of sort of what's going on in worship when you lift up your hands. I remember being a young believer and encountering that for the first time. I, you know, I was just a young civil engineer and I, in the church I had grown up in. Never saw anything like that. People lifting up their hands. You stood for worship and and you sat down and you stood up again. And it was sort of like Pilates. Um, um, and then, uh, then when I got saved, I walked into a church and, you know, they... They had some of the some of the same trappings of an organ and things like that, but somebody lifted up their hands uh, to in a time of singing to the Lord, and it just took me by surprise. Like, ooh, what's that? I don't know what what else are they going to do here, you know? Um, I didn't understand it, and um, but uh, you know, I didn't I didn't understand that that they're um, they were comfortable with singing to the Lord. And those those words that are being um, offered up in a time of worship, they're finding an expression out of their own heart already there. And it wasn't enough to just say those words. Um, it was needful that the hands would go up in some gesture of worship. I like that. Um, I think we ought to be free to do that. I think... Um, I think it's a, a very healthy, good thing to do uh, in a time of worship, to be able to just lift up our hands to worship him. Uh, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, as with. This doesn't mean, you know, there's, it's just talking about um, in worship, I'm going to be satisfied in that time of expressing to you my love, my thanks, Praise to you is enriching to my soul. We need to worship the Lord. You need to worship the Lord. Um, we put worship a great emphasis on music here. It's just not a, it's, it's not just a tagline on the front so that people can come in late. You know, um, uh, we need to count that just as valuable as the time when we're here opening the Word. Um, it serves a, a vital purpose in our life. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. 
And when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. And then I change, the, I change a little bit of the punctuation here. Um, I make it one sentence from verse 6 to the first sentence of verse 7. So it would read this way. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you on the night watches because you have been my help. That's the way I render it. And um, uh, I think that says a little better um, what is going on here. Because the because is the, is the cause word, because you have been my help. And I remember that. I remember that in time of worship. And so that carries me through. And here's the thing. I can worship the Lord whenever. Certainly when I'm gathered with other saints on a you know, Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening, I'm certainly going to worship the Lord, but I can worship him anywhere. I can worship him at home and when I'm lying on my bed. And I can think about the Lord and far away, and, but I'm far away from the gathering of the saints, but I can still worship him. I could still meditate on his goodness and his grace and think about how he has helped me and how faithful he has been. And it's, an, and it's a time of worship. Therefore, because of these things, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice or I will sing. Here's the shadow of your wings again. Um, that's just a, a beautiful statement. It's, you know, don't, this, this is one of those figures of speech. Yes, we take the Bible literally, but we're not saying that God has wings and feathers. Um, this is an expression um, of dearness and nearness um, from God to us and from us to God. I'm going to make myself at home right next to you and right and, and I don't want to be found far away from you in any fashion um, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice this shows up six times in scriptures uh, Psalm 17 we saw it Psalm 36 Psalm 57 Psalm 61 we saw it already tonight here again and then, and then Psalm 91 and then um, my soul follows close behind you is what the New King James says. But I like that rendered in the King James. My soul follows hard after thee, and your right hand upholds me. Um, There's a mutual love in that statement. Um, God loves us, and we respond by following hard after him. Um, You know, even if things get hard... I'm not going to move away. I don't want there to be a distance between us. And I want to keep myself there. And I know at the same time, he's keeping me there. Because he has his right hand on me and in his hand. Um, you know, I, I, my own personal expressions of wanting to be, him, be with him are, are needful. But my confidence isn't there. My confidence is his grip on me. As Jesus said, um, um, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and my Father is greater than, than all. And I like that. That's, just, that's a personal expression of um, love for the Lord and his love for us. But those who seek my life to destroy it 
to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Um, just confidence, again, in the Lord handling all those things. Um, you know, it's nice uh, to have somebody on your side that's bigger than everybody else. Um, you know, I, I have my own memories of something like that when I was in junior high. You know, I'm not a very big guy now. Uh, when I was in junior high, I was pretty small. And um, I uh, there was a guy in my junior high who, he was a little bit bigger than everybody else. He, you know, actually could grow a beard. And um, I think he had a berserk pituitary. But um, he, you know, and he wasn't a happy guy. And you didn't want to run into him. He, you know, us little guys, we were just fodder for entertainment for him. And I didn't want to run into him. Um, I had been, uh, I got pretty good grades in junior high. And occasionally I would help out um, some people of an ethnic group. I, I you know, I'm not, in, in, I'm not endorsing cheating on homework or tests or anything, but that happened in junior high, and I was the source of some answers here and there. And um, don't tell my parents about that. Um, but one day at lunchtime, I ran into, you know, the school's Tyrannosaurus Rex. He's bigger than me, and I'm his lunch. And I, you know, I, I got nothing but my pencil and... It's over for me, but I had, because I had been kind to these, uh, this other group, they came to my rescue. It was nice to have backup that was bigger than what I could bring, and uh, I remember that. Um, it was a turning point in my life. <laughs> uh, I consecrated myself to the Lord at that, thank you, Lord. No, um, you know, I think, I think that's just the simple thing of, look, the Lord is going to defend me. I know that. I got enemies that are bigger than me. They outgun me in every fashion, but you know what? I can rest because the Lord has me in hand, and no one's getting past him. The king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. The role of worship in a time of... um, time of being in the wilderness is vital. Uh, In the wilderness, we can choose to bless God. We can choose to meditate on God, as he said there. Um, And we can choose to seek God. We can choose to rejoice in God. All those things are necessary choices in times of um, being in the wilderness, finding ourselves unexpectedly in the wilderness. Um, and, And it's a way that we can richly benefit um, from those wilderness journeys. And maybe that's what the wilderness journey is about for you. I don't know where you're at. But the Lord may have allowed that to strengthen you, in particularly in worship, um, so that um, not only can you, can you um, grow in worship, and maybe it's for others to see you grow in worship too, and that they, they can see what the Lord is doing with you in your wilderness. Let's go to Psalm 64. Um, It says to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. It's not just preserve my life from the enemy. It's preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Um, 
hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. Um, well, let's keep reading here. Uh, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword. It's sad when people use their mouth as a weapon. And bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. Uh, Psalm 64 is a lot about words and how words are going to be used against um, David. And uh, as David is just in, you know, a type of every believer, the enemy, the enemy's uh, main um, approach to us is one of accusation, to accuse us. And um, uh, he will both accuse us before the Lord. I'm glad we've got a good defense lawyer um, and uh, an advocate before the Lord. Uh, but then also he wants to um, assault us in the world. And, his, and one of the main ways he does that is just with people's mouths um, and how they are used. Um, a lot about words here. It's funny how, how the words are used here by, by the wicked. They sharpen their tongue like a sword, and they bend their bow to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. Bitter words. Um, they may shoot in secret at the blameless. They shoot at him and do not fear. Um, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. Um, they talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. They, uh, we, and then quote, we have perfected a shrewd scheme, or we have, we have searched a perfect search. It's kind of like uh, they're digging up garbage on him is the idea, and we're going to use it on you. you. You think you have, who are you to think you're perfect before God? You think you're holier than us because now, and you're going to preach at me when you've done this and this and this. Okay, don't shout out if that sounds familiar. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's very common to hear from um, the enemy. Um, and remember, you know, people aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy, and he might be using somebody here and there. And it's ultimately the enemy of our soul who's, who's assaulting us with words. You know, it says they, they encourage themselves in a... In a evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? Um, the idea is they don't know that somebody's listening. Um, you know, the Lord hears everything we say. Um, and that is both comforting and ought to be a cause for, um, you know, also the fear of the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, I I just don't want to have the, have the Lord hear me say some things. And um, so I, I just watch what I do with my mouth. Um, who will see them? They devise iniquities. Somebody's always listening. They don't think so, but the Lord is. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. They think they've got this squared away. They've got a campaign they think will work. And uh, they've loaded it up, and it's ready to launch. Um, where does it say there? Up in verse 3. They bend their 
bows to shoot their arrows. Lots of arrows. They got a machine gun, right? Verse 7, God only needs one arrow, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow, because he never misses. Suddenly they shall be wounded, so he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The idea there is, okay, so these things are set up against me, and ah, here they come. The idea is there, I'm going to let the Lord defend me. He does a much better job of defending me than I will ever do of defending myself. Uh, He will let me defend myself if I want to. (laughs) I find it much wiser to let the Lord handle that. And it might take a day, a week, a month, a year, but he will always vindicate you. If time and light are on your side, then he will vindicate you. And just let the Lord take care of it. Um, Don't worry about what people are saying. Um, You know, you've got to have kind of a thick skin and a tender heart. And um, so we're going to leave it in the Lord's hands. People are going to say things. People are going to make stuff up. They're going to twist your words. They're going to dig up trash. Yeah, that's true. Some of that stuff's true. I'm sorry. That's about me before I became to know the Lord. Yeah, that's true. I, I can't defend it. Um, but the, Lord, the Lord's offering forgiveness. That's my message, right? Uh, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord. And trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. So, uh, Psalm 64, um, people are going to assail you with words. Don't worry about it. Leave it in the Lord's hands. Give him time to work. Give him the, give him the, give him the honor of defending you, and he'll take care of it. Psalm 65, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed, O you who hear prayer. To you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me, as for our transgressions you will provide atonement for them. Again, David is reflecting on um, uh, his own turmoil in his life, realizing, ah, boy, yeah, you know, um, things are going wrong, um, but you know what, Lord, you have this in hand. You will provide atonement for them. Our transgressions are real um, along the lines of, you know, what First John says in the New Testament. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Um, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Um, Blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach, that he may dwell in your courts. Um, You know, David had a unique sense of that. He had a special calling to be the king in God's... um, administration of his work on earth Um, and so he had a unique way of saying that but we don't want to take is take that verse and make some make it say something it doesn't say it doesn't say that God chooses some people and doesn't choose other people it's not what that verse is saying 
There's other scriptures in the Bible that plainly contradict such an idea. Um, the idea that God has only chosen a few and he hasn't chosen others. It says plainly, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge. Um, this is a, um, a statement about a blessing of a special privilege um, to serve in some special capacity. That's what that's talking about. Um, and that is a blessing. Um, blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, expecting the Lord to answer. O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and the far-off seas. Um, what a great perspective to keep in prayer. Um, is just to reflect on um, the power of God. Again, you know, way back in Psalm 61, the problem, the reversal, pray until we get that put in perspective. A great way to start that is to just look at what God has made. I mean, look, look around you at the earth. Every, you know, I was just explaining this um, yesterday or the day before as, as we drive to school every morning. I like to talk with David about what we believe and why we believe it. And we were driving down the road and I was saying, you know, um, just look around you. Everything you see is God's. Because everything you see, even though you see things that men have made, power poles, houses, cars, roads, you know, buildings, everything, all of that stuff came out of the earth. All of it. All the metal, all the rubber, all the wood, all the concrete. Man didn't create any of that. God did. It all came out of the earth. It's all his creation. Uh, it's a great way, a great reflection to hold in prayer as we start to process that and try to work through those, those moments of gaining a new perspective. Remember his power in creation. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know me, I, I like some science and, and things. One of, the, one of my things I like to, sciences I like to look at is astronomy. And I've got some posters that are mine of, you know, nebulas and galaxies and stuff. And I, I like to look at those things um, as a testimony to God's power. If he can do that, what's, what do my problems add up to? I mean, that's just billions. The power displayed in just the sun that rises every day. We take so much for granted, you know. That's his. He makes it run. And so, um, oh, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and the far-off seas. What a great perspective to have in prayer to begin to worship the Lord and gain a new perspective. in. Uh, who established the mountains by his strength being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves. Uh, you know, it's nothing for the Lord to still the waters. And we saw, we see him do that in the New Testament, right? With just a word. It's put to rest. But it's also nothing for him to, to, to calm the tumult of the peoples there and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. Um, 
just the beauty of the mornings, the beauty, if you want to get up and watch the sunrise, I won't be with you there. I'll still be in bed. But, um, uh, you know, the, the evening testimony, again, to God's power. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. He's reflecting on the, the, um, the majesty of God in creation. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You know, I get you get the image of this lush, beautiful, um, uh, verdant um, setting um, of just cool, you know, garden sort of thing. I'm there. I hope you are there. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> you make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. A nice little vacation, mini vacation there. You crown the year with your goodness, all in, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. Uh, you, know, this is, you know, again, this is a reflection of somebody who closely associated with the land and and those agricultural cycles of rain and summer and and fall and reaping and um you know the the animals and and all of that um you know that's we kind of lose touch with that um in our some of that in our modern society um you know everything's microwavable and that stuff i'm from southern california and so um, you know, I can tell you about the ins and outs of big city life, so I'm street smart. Um, but uh, when I get out here and I get in contact with the farmer, I'm like, you have a cow? Really? <laughs> so it's kind of like I'm dirt stupid at the same time as being street smart. Um, but uh, uh, we uh, lose a little bit um, of touch with, with just how much God how dependent we are on God's just continued faithfulness in all the things that he has provided here on earth. And it's just a beautiful reflection on that. The little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys are also covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. And so we reflect on God's power in the creation in the midst of daily life, how much more so in the, in the days of uh, trials wanderings in wilderness. Let's finish there tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, we love to see and reflect upon uh, your majesty and the creation. And then, Lord, have that strengthening perspective carry us through times of wilderness wanderings and strengthen us in faith, strengthen us in prayer and in worship. Those who are in trials, Lord, bless them, keep them, Let them be refreshed in you. Cause their trials to be a source of glory and testimony for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.